Hey, everybody. This is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan FM Over 40 and Her Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Okay, so last week, I popped into Anchor, which is anchor.fm is the website that is like my podcast uploading engine. It's really interesting because having a podcast now is very different than it was having a podcast 10 years ago, which I did. Um, and there, it's just this amazing launch pad. Anchor just makes it so easy to do a podcast. This is not a, uh, this is not spawn. This is me just speaking from the heart. Okay. So, uh, but here's the thing about being a creator on any kind of social media these days is like, it's always changing. Like you log in and suddenly everything's different. Suddenly, uh, anchor was bought by Spotify. Right. And so now there are all these like little special Spotify doohickeys for their podcast uploading, including last week they said, Hey, why don't you upload the video file and we'll go ahead and make a video Spotify podcast. So not only did my video go up on my YouTube channel, which is self-care party, uh, go ahead and subscribe over there. Uh, I don't allow comments on my YouTube videos, so the algorithm doesn't really like pump me out, but um, you can subscribe. All of my podcast archives up there on the live podcast recordings are so fun. It's such a diverse crowd. And really, my goal with this podcast and having conversations with my friends is like helping to utilize the, the amazing wisdom that these people have to help navigate a life that for you is worth living, right? I think each and every one of us are here for a diverse reason. And I truly believe we all have gifts that we bring to the planet. Um, and part of my work in the world is to just help people see what's possible. Cause that is what really opened up my life was when I was meeting people who were like, just living. Like, I remember the first time I ever saw a fat girl who just loved herself. And I had never experienced that before in my entire life. I only knew fat people who were apologetic about their bodies. And in a world that like prioritizes bodies in this currency sort of way, like your body matters more or your body has more worth because it's X, Y, Z, right? It's at the privilege of all these intersections of um, privilege and oppression, right? Like um, all over the body, right? But if you just kind of like step back and take a look, everybody is different. Like literally every human being is different. And I think that's all part of a divine plan to help us like fix things that are going terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> in the world right now. It is kind of nuts to me out there. And um, my friend, Drea, um, we have this questioning reality sesh that we do every Friday on the Glowing Goddess Getaway Discord. We just kind of hang out and we talk about reality and what systems we've been brought up in. Uh, we talk about religion. We talk about um, body oppression and white supremacy um, pretty much every week, right? Like these are things that like really establish our worldviews. And as we step back and like really question the world around us, I think it's a profoundly powerful way of applying our attention and taking back our attention from systems that just want to make us feel bad about ourselves for many reasons, including trying to get your money. <laughs> So, I mean, billion dollar, billion dollar industries really relying on you feeling bad about yourself. And if you just take back your consciousness from that, right? And I really feel like you start to learn about the world around you more when you get exposed to different types of people. Um, Scott Smith is one of my favorite people to talk about the world with from a magical perspective. And I say that in like the true metaphysical sense, like magic. Um, and Scott has so many things uh, to bring to the table, but for me, just a trusted friend. And I think our conversation is, I hope going to get you to think about um, how you want to approach the next 
few decades, right? Like maybe this pandemic is the launch point for the greatest period of art in human history, right? Like I really think this is our new renaissance. I'm really excited to see what comes out of this. But in our questioning reality sesh, um, Drea gave me this nugget from Yogi Bhajan um, that in the age of Aquarius, a third of the people are going to die. A third of the people are going to go mad and a third of the people will ascend. And what I'm really interested in is how to help people ascend. And I'm really noticing that's what's going on around me is like this mass death and people going mad. And that's really what it seems like, in my opinion. I mean, you can have your own perspective and I encourage you to have your own perspective on the world. Um, but I really wanted to talk this out with Scott. Um, and uh, also you can listen to Scott's backstory. Scott, Scott and I intersect in these really fun ways. Like um, he was like, living in San Francisco and, you know, doing Reiki and being a witch and being queer. And I was like growing up in the suburbs um, of like Castro Valley, California is where I grew up uh, or did high school, I should say, but it could have been a suburb anywhere. And, uh, but it happened to be really near this very mystical person who has just been such an incredible anchor to me since I met Scott um, in Los Angeles. And so um, Scott is just someone whose perspective on the world and rooted in the experience of bringing the divine to earth for quite some time. Um, and I think that requires a really specific amount of fortitude to be like willing to live a life that is worth living. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of us get kind of shuffled into this is what's supposed to make you feel alive and excited. And that supposed to doesn't work out. And then we're kind of out here trying to figure out how to be the best us that we can be in the present moment. Right. And so I think Scott and I really get into that, um, in our conversation, I'm excited you're here. Um, so the video situation, what I decided to do. So last week I log in to upload my podcast with Kendra and Kendra's a visual, like an artist. And we had some cute oil paintings. So I was like, yes, this is the one we're going to try. So I just like get this notification, like, here's how you can upload your podcast, but it won't let me do a voice intro. If I'm uploading the video for the audio track that the podcast is going to be fired out on. I barely understand this myself, but I do know how to upload things and I'm a very empowered DIY artist. So um, I did it with the visual aspect last week, but I think I'm going forward. I'm just going to do the voice um, upload for the podcast because I like doing these intros um, and I like reminding you about my Patreon page and I have some up to the minute breaking news uh, for you. I haven't even talked about this really. Um, but I just added a new tier to my Patreon page. So if my podcast is of value to you, the best way to support it is my Patreon page. And that is my cat biscuit Reynolds, who is also supported by this Patreon page. Um, Patreon P A T R E O N.com is a website that is a membership platform that allows folks like you to support creators like me who make work that you appreciate and value in the world. Um, we're doing a lot of really fun things, um, at the intersection of Patreon and discord, which discord is just kind of like a, it's like a platform. I, it, it, to me, it's like a, like old school forum, like nineties internet, you know what I mean? Like where everyone's like posting on threads and like, there's people in a community, but like in many ways, these like Patreon discords are like communities hosted by creators that you like. Right. And like the people in it. Um, are really what make it. And I feel like um, having all these interests that have these different discord communities 
is a really new, incredible way to connect and a really fun way that I think our economy is moving into the digital age. And Scott is someone who I have supported on Patreon for a super long time. So I'm excited for you to um, just connect and see where the value intersects, right? Like in talking about subscriptions and tiers and what's available. So I just decided to do a new tier uh, for private parties because there's some folks who like maybe don't intersect with my class schedule and you want it on your own time, right? Or maybe you want to have a birthday party or you want to do it for your company. I don't know, but it's up there. It's 111 bucks a month. That is the highest tier. Uh, it starts at five bucks a month and I like to provide a lot of value. I think there's um, so much fun to be had gathering together in the Zoom room and dancing together. I teach Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics. It is my one-of-a-kind aerobics class that I created for anyone who has ever been called too fat, too much, or felt too awkward to dance. Uh, it's a really fun class and um, I really love the community. And we check in about self-care after the Zoom aerobics classes, and that is all available at patreon.com slash fkdp. Um, and at the 25 bucks a month level, you get on-demand classes that I film in the forest, and they're really fun. And it's really, really cool to create these aerobics and like create a way for you to move at home. Or even like my friend Mag sometimes just goes on a walk and listens to the aerobics classes. So it's, it's fun music. Uh, fun dancing. And I just love to dance with people. And I'm so excited and thrilled that I get to do my art for a living. This is like truly me living my dream. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott. Cuddle up on the virtual porch with your blanket. And I really want you to just think about like, where do you want to be? And how do you want to be through these times that are like, really massively shifting our consciousness and our planet in the age of Aquarius? I love you so much. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Scott. Oh, I'm so, so, so glad you're here. Your wisdom is such a gift in my life, but I love that we have this like solstice, uh, winter solstice sort of reunion on the podcast, um, talking about all the magical things. Um, it's such a magical time. Um, and Scott, I always like to start business in the front. So tell us, what are your offerings right now? How can people interact with you? And how are you adding value in the world? Well, I, I want to start with um, that. Uh, we said this before, because we have been giggling and talking prior to the podcast, <laughs> uh, which I love. It sort of greases the wheel coming into this, because there's always a little nervousness for me when talking uh, for the first time. It's just a natural thing for me. But uh, thank you, Bevan, for all that you do. I was really marveling at the reels that you've been doing on Instagram and uh, just loving those and just constantly the reminder for those things. And thank you so much for being such a longtime supporter of my Patreon. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Like that's a primary source of income for me. So thank you. So what I have been doing uh, on the business end. Um, hello, my name is Scott Smith. Um, I run a couple of websites and do work on Patreon and online. Um, I have the sacredother.com, which is primarily my personal practice where you can find consultations or readings um, and things, um, uh, healing, uh, and uh, a little bit of writing, uh, not much, not a long time. Um, have I done a lot of blogging? Uh, but I used to there. And then I have temple-la.com, which is where I primarily uh, teach. So that's a lot of the class portals 
and events that you see there. That's my official business in Los Angeles. So uh, in California, um, registered there. Um, and then I use uh, patreon.com slash Scott K. Smith, the S, the K, the S are capitalized. And that's like a scratch pad workout space where I'm sort of figuring out how it looks. It's a little dirty. It's a little messy. Uh, it can go all over the place, but there's a method to the madness because I'm working something out in the writing or the method or whatever that's there. So through that Patreon, I have come to the place of completing like my ninth iteration of a Reiki manual that this time has had a wonderful hand. I think I mentioned her before in the last podcast, Mary has gone through and helped me to edit it and set it all up in a new way and really include my voice in it. Um, and uh, so, so I, I wrote it a long time ago and I've written it again and again and I sort of co-wrote it with someone else. And then I scrapped everything and I started from scratch and I just rewrote it as, as who I am. So my work has been largely writing. Uh, writing Reiki manuals and writing content on Patreon and then um, teaching classes, uh, sending Reiki, seeing clients uh, and all of those things, which can be found in all three of those portals. And I just want to say, just as a shout out for your Patreon, there's just, if you're interested in runes, there's like a whole backlog uh, or a back stock. There's a, you've been doing it for so long now, like there is just a wealth of Patreon stuff. So runes, Reiki, uh, meditations, tarot. Tarot. There's lots of meditations. Yeah. yeah, there's so much in there. So it's like, it's one of those things, like I love supporting people on Patreon because I'd love to see just what's going to happen. But also like yours, like when it, once it's like been going for a while, it becomes this treasure trove. Like you jump in at like, you know, a $10 a month level. And then there's so much in there that you can just dig around in and experience. I feel like Patreon is the new social media feed. It's where we really, I mean, if you think about it, if you care enough about an artist to support them on Patreon, that's your feed. That's where they're giving their best work, right? Like I make reels on Instagram because it delights people, but really the real stuff I'm doing, the stuff that matters, the stuff that I think is, is God working through me is primarily on Patreon. And I think the same is true for you. Agree. Yeah, it's. It, I think. Uh, I think this March or April in 2022 will be four years uh, on there, and I try to keep everything organized with a post that I keep pinned to the top of the page that's available to the public, so you can go there and you can look and be like, "There's this many items there." And at a certain point, I'm just sort of like, you have to search the hashtag because if you want to go back four yeah. years, you can. And I, there are people who are doing it right now, are going back through posts and looking at old readings and. I see their likes and, and, you know, Elizabeth, I particularly see her liking things and um, it's just, it's uh, yeah, it is a treasure trove. That is a good way to, to see it. And there's a lot of expression and creativity and uh, learning there, which you will see a lot in that this final Reiki manual one is the beginning of it. Uh, I have it all set to publish. I've, uh, almost finished the cover, the final edits are almost done, and then it's just going to go to print, and then I'm immediately jumping into Reiki 2, um, which is Usui-styled, but starts to deviate really into my personal practice, um, and you could sense that when you read through one, in the way that I sort of like figure in gasho and breathing practices and all these sorts of things, and then slowly start to edit in things like 
communing with the spirit of place and giving back to the land and you know all of those sorts of things it just starts to like mesh and evolve into something else and all of that first appeared on that patreon oh, i love it and <laughs> i will also say that you will you explain what reiki is for anybody who doesn't know what reiki is Oh, that's a good question. And I want to say that I speak from my experience, right? Uh, and that there are a lot of um, viewpoints and framing for Reiki. Uh, the way that I taught and I learned Reiki was that it is an inherent energy that is in all things. Um, and that it is that sort of pure spiritual energy, right? Um, kind of avoid the word pure, but uh, in this instance, I think that it's correct. It's sort of like tapping into the clean water. Mm -hmm. right and um it's it's inherent in life you know it's 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 there uh but it's intelligent so you know you have you have energy in your bones in your muscles and in your breath and it's generated you know from where you came from and your origins and what you eat and how you move and what you engage in and who you talk to all of those things are different kinds of uh key or energy in your body and reiki is is like the uh, infinite intelligence of that energy that's available to all of us. Um, it may not have the same push power as your calves, right? Or your fingers, you know, like, um, you know, uh, walking and being on our phones, you know, like you, this, this power, the, 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 the heart to pump blood, you know, the automatic systems in our body, which have a lot of push power, physical power to do things. Um, but kind of limited attention, uh, bless you. A little kitty. The cat, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but the intelligence is sort of for a certain thing, right? It doesn't go beyond that. So when it goes like wonky and it's not doing the thing that it's supposed to do, it just keeps doing that thing, right? But Reiki is like, mm, this is how this actually, this is the divine pattern of, of this energy of the body, you know, or your right pattern, if that's a better word for you. And it helps to restore that right pattern. By, by correcting the excesses and deficiencies, this flow of pure water, if you want to call it that, from, as I said earlier, allow for the restoration of that energy to come in. I think there is like an inherent healing that we're all encoded with. And that a lot of times when we're feeling disease or even just negative emotions or things that aren't like of us, they kind of glom on and they prevent our inherent healing from from working right and like we can nurture our healing through so many ways including how we nourish ourselves resting um our thought life all those things but the reiki it's just it's one of those things i love energy healing because it's so simple it's very mm -hmm. anti-capitalist it's like it feels like it shouldn't work because it's just sending energy but like hi we're all metaphysical beings with all these like we're just water and electricity you know what i mean like we're just like stardust uh, meat sacks like why That's not yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I, I, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a Reiki master healer. So yes. I've done all of the Reiki, but I consider Scott my primary. I always like want to be connected up to a teacher always. Um, many teachers actually, but like for Reiki specifically, Scott's my guy. Like if you want to learn Reiki, I'm not, I don't want to teach Reiki classes. I want you to go take them from Scott. No, so excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know that. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's, that's really lovely. I was going to say in speaking to what you were just saying, you know, like that you can really connect to the Reiki that way that I think that there's kind of a grace in it mm -hmm. that's there and like the sense of the word that you can find this kind of stillness in these things that you might be experiencing you know like it's I, I kind of look at it like some people teach Reiki as a modality mm -hmm. 
And I think it functions well as a modality, but I really think it's not an and or or, but it's an and also. Reiki is a path. Mm -hmm. And we tend to pepper a lot of things into it because it's really uh, intelligent and malleable. It flows into all these places. And it's like, are you eating? We could do Reiki with that. Are you talking? We could do Reiki with that. You know, it does all those sorts of things. Uh, but there's a lot to the practice itself and like the basics of it, that if you really just lean in to your connection to it, you're guided in really incredible ways. And that is a whole path unto itself to follow that guidance in that way. It really opens up and the doors continue to open up, right? Um, you, you may not see it. It's sort of like, um, uh, God, I, I'm horrible with names, but you know, in the movie, The Labyrinth, you know, with David Bowie and Jennifer, yeah. what's, uh, Jennifer uh, Connelly, AKA thank Sarah. You. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And um, I, I'm terrible with names like that. And, you know, I always think about it, you know, when we, um, when we don't see our choices, that yes. initial response in the labyrinth, when she meets those, that cute little couple of uh, caterpillars, you know, or whatever they are, little grubs or something, they're so cute in their little house. And, um, and, and he says, no, don't go that way. And she's like, oh, I go the other way. And she goes, he's like, no, you just walk down the middle and you go right to the source. Like you go right to the castle. Uh, but she goes through the whole labyrinth, you know, anyways, the journey of the fool, you know, but um, it's, it's like that, like we don't see it until we see it. And I think that there is that possibility within Reiki, within the system, within the energy itself that will invite us to pause our view of the world that we're currently having, to look inward and shine outward. And in that, a new path is revealed. And I think that that's the kind of grace that Reiki offers in those uh, situations. I didn't think we were going to talk about Reiki today, but here we are. Here we are. I told you we were just going to trust the goddess too. Um, <laughs> so here's what's, uh, what I love about how you brought up the labyrinth. So it's on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, please watch it. I watched it at the beginning of the pandemic. I've also watched it many times in my life. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, we are all the Goblin King to ourselves. We are all Sarah lost in our own labyrinth, trying to figure out how are we changing the way we see the world. We are also all Hoggle, the naysaying friend, right? Like every part of the labyrinth is us. It's all an internal journey. And it's really about how you see the world and how you experience the world. Absolutely. Reiki is a path. Reiki is in many ways, it's like a lifestyle. It's like, it's in everything I do. I became, I did my Reiki master training as I was beginning to teach factory dance party aerobics. And it's like, certainly part of that path and part of the healing that I offer in that. And, um, I also really just started teaching magic dance from a labyrinth, um, in, uh, in fact, you dance party in the last couple months, because mm-hmm. like part of it is like, I wanted to, um, I just love that song. And, um, I also like have this career goal to teach aerobics with Miss Piggy. And so I was like thinking like, Oh, when I teach aerobics with Miss Piggy, what are some like really important Muppet music canon that I need to start thinking about? So I was like, Oh, for sure. The labyrinth. Cause it's all Jim Henson. He directed it. Yeah, And so it's like, it's just one of those things where like, I, I like to teach it because I like people to remember like, what magic spell can you use, right? Because magic is like, it's more than just like, I mean, magic is so much, right? Like you teach on, I mean, your life is magic. Um, and, and there's so much intention and ritual, even in just the daily experience of doing your dishes. Like, can you find joy in that? <laughs> Hi, Trixie. Um, 
can you find joy in these things that like are potentially mundane, but also can you set aside time for you to, to be in who you're meant to be? Right. Right. Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, I think that that's really a key thing there is like, we, I I feel that I see, I should say, I'm not just going to make a general statement there. Like I feel, I see uh, with a lot of people because maybe of the popularity of things and how available everything is, is that, you know, Reiki and magic and all these things are for some sort of purpose of doing things. And while I think magic is absolutely there as agency to make corrections or find the path or do the, and, and, you know, get what we need or want in the world, like, that I mean, magic has historically been used to get what we need and want. And well, do I want it to be associated with our higher will? Absolutely, right? Uh, but you know, sometimes our needs aren't always uh, evident. You know that that's what they're being used for. You know what I mean? But like, but magic is it is for like manifesting. It is for making changes. It is for you know from stuff to health to to moves and and also it is the that is powered or that is um what's the word i'm looking for there you know that's that's made um more textural more it becomes more intimate when it is part of the dishes when it is part of the blessing of our food when it is when we're lighting a candle pausing for a moment just to do that even if it's for mood right because we're setting it up you know for for a zoom or whatever we're doing right that when I walk out the door, I'm not talking to, because it's a lovely, amazing storm here in Los Angeles, um, that I'm talking to the rainstorm, not to get something, but to say hello. Yeah, saying hello. Yeah, like to, and and that's, you know, like there's, it's it's that method and practice, you know, like there's that, there's, there's deeper qualities to all that we do. And uh, whether we're doing magic or we're doing Reiki or we're doing, any kind of sit or whatever it is that we're doing, you know, like there's always a deeper quality that's calling us in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the line from the song, what kind of magic spell to use is just continues to run through my head. So mm-hmm. I just want to say that just what kind of magic spell to use in this moment. Right. And maybe that spell is a thank you, right. Greeting to the day. I like, I've been doing this practice um, every night where I go out. Um, I, I'm really finding a lot of potency in my daily routine, high pandemic, high quarantine. Um, and like the, the morning routine, people talk a lot about that. Right. Um, cause really like it's the most potent one. Cause it sets you up for your whole day. Um, but I've been finding a lot of power in an afternoon and an evening routine. Um, I was getting a lot of direction to start having a meditation in the middle of the day too, in addition to morning and then nighttime. Um, and I mean, even just 30 seconds, you know what I mean? That, I don't put myself on like a magic, like you have to do, I, if I tr- set too many strict things, then I'll fail. And I don't feel great about that. So I'm working on like beginning again with joyful spirit and allowing it to be like messy. Right. Like, but also present, right. I know that sometime in the middle of the day, I want to like pause and dig in and center. Um, but then at night I've been doing this thing where I go out. I call it my five-hole moment. And like, it's where I go out and like, look at the moon, if the moon is available to see, or I look to see if there are stars. I live in the Pacific Northwest. So frequently it's just clouds. But if I just always think like, even last night, it was like, oh, it's probably cloudy. And I went outside, like, I'll do a peak because it's real cold too. So I'll do a peak. And if it's cloudy, I won't go outside. 
but I peeked and I could see Orion and I was like, oh, it's on. I got my coat. I like went outside and I like, you know, did a nice like 10 minute stargazing with like a song that like soothes my heart and like just present reflecting back to the stars and just having that, like even these simple moments and where the intention is just thank you or presence, you know, and it's not, I mean, there's manifesting, right? I love being a manifester. I love law of attraction, but like also there's appreciation and that's part of the magic too, is just being present and appreciative. And um, like Eckhart Tolle says, embrace everything as though you chose it. Yeah. Like, um, and okay. Oh, we wanted to talk about empirical stuff. So something that, oh. No, I want want to say to that is that, you know, like I think magic in a large part for me and the way that I teach it is that it's relational and it's about relationships, not just to each other, but to the moon, to the stars, to the land, you know, to our food, to our fur babies, to the birds in the sky, to even the things that we might consider pests or whatever, you know, um, you know, they, they live here too, you know what I mean? Like in, in all of those sorts of things and, and, you know, the, to the banes and the bombs, to the unhealthy things and the healthy things, it's all in relationship. And so, you know, um, when we're, when we're casting a spell or we're doing a ritual or any of those things, we're not just, um, speaking to what you're saying, you know, like we're manifestors and it's about, you know, these things, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just making something happen. You're talking to beings of personhood, regardless of their form or spirit, right. Of different intelligences. And you're, and you're basically, you know, in Congress, you know, which is, um, which is do, right? You know, we're in Congress with spirits, right? And that means the spirit in the rocks and the trees and, the, and whatever. And we're saying, hey, I want to do this thing, you know, and um, can I get your help in this? You know, like, will you shine upon this? Uh, and let's do this together. And it's inclusive in that it's including all of those aspects of things. And so it's not just our power or our our own personal you know, uh, the weight is not all on our shoulders, right? Because we're, we're, it really helps us to reach out and see how we're interwoven with all of those things. So yes, yeah, that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So the empirical thing, you said you wanted to talk about that. So empirical astrology is something I've been really, I, I think I only really understood it about a year ago, but like, I literally live somewhere where I can see planets, which is the first time in my whole life I could identify if I could say, I see Jupiter from my front porch all the time. Um, and I'm just like curious what your thoughts are on empirical, uh, astrology, empirical magic, like the things we can see right with our eyes that are bigger than us. Yes. Okay. So I I took a breath there. Uh, (laughs) so I, I, because I think that when we start to talk about a thing, we need to be mindful of a couple of points, which are, we're speaking from our perspective and what we know. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's one of the most important and not everyone is going to have the same story and not all of our stories are based on the same facts. Right. And when I talk about facts, I'm not talking about my personal truths necessarily, which are kind of facts for me. Right. But like these measurable things, right. So when I'm doing magic and the moon is in a sign, there is a timing to that. That's that can be tracked and has been tracked for a long time, you know, like thousands of years, people, there's, there's, there's uh, buildings built all around the world for the tracking of the sun, moon, and stars, right? So there is a measure, right, that is available to us, and that is a level of truth, 
right, that is available to us in the tangible world, in the physical world. And I think magic is in relationship to the physical world. We have a lot of systems which are all about escaping this one, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to go higher and out of here, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in my path and my tradition, it's about descent and bringing down the things to be here, to raise this up, right? Yes. Or, to, or to fill this in in better ways because, uh, and this may sound a little blaming and I don't mean it to, but maybe it is and I don't know it and I haven't researched that in myself yet, but that we have too long thought about escaping this place. And maybe that's why we're having a lot of these problems because we don't recognize the humanness uh, in each other or the life and livelihood and right to be and everything else, you know? And I think that my spiritual practice is always evolving towards that. So to understand that, I have to know how it works, how it ticks and what its timing is. And everyone has its own, you know, divine timing, its own rhythm. And that divine timing and rhythm is in the physical movement of things. It is in the physical movement of the stars. So, you know, so, you know, a, a weight is a weight because why? An inch is an inch because why? A, a distance is reached at a point A to point B in a certain way. Why? Because factors that are measurable. I don't think that those are the only truths, right? But that is a level of truths from which we can start to work from. So I understand that when I do something in a, in a spell, because I just had a client, we were talking about this. Um, I'm just going to call her D because I don't know who knows anything about her, but if she's listening, then she, she knows who I'm talking to here. But we sort of went through the last, uh, she booked like basically nine sessions in advance with me um, and we parsed them out. And then we went through point A to Z as far as magic works goes to make it work. Like, how do you really make this work? And there's relationship parts, there's tool parts, there's whatever that, that sort of work. But in the end, you know, it comes down to her preparing herself for this ritual as we do. And I chose these things for this reason. This is my intention for this reason. This is my timing for this reason. This is who I'm calling in for this reason. So that when you come together and you do these things and it works, you can look back and go, oh, that's because I used bay and coriander and labradorite you know, and the moon was in this sign and it did this, or it didn't, or it was askew and it was off. And you're like, hmm, maybe that moon conjunct Saturn in opposition to whatever was to my detriment. And it actually worked against me. And I should have, I should have pulled some cards on that before to see how I could have best worked that to my advantage, you know, and those sorts of things. And that's a measure, right? And I, and I don't think that is the again, that's not the only truth, right? Like, because there's mythic truths, there's things that are happening on higher levels and what's true here may not be true up there because it's not based on the same timing because it's not in the physical world, right? And so when we access information from those levels, outside time and space, right? From a higher place, right? Or a deeper place that uh, the operation manual might be a little bit different, right? And, and, or the truths might be a little bit more fluid the information, you know, is suddenly queered from here to there where it's, it's got different colors, you know what I mean? And it doesn't make the previous level untrue, right? It just means that once it reaches that level, this is how the truth then operates. This is how it then operates on those things. I think they come together 
because the one creates a foundation for the other, right? Yeah, it totally so we makes want to know the measure of these things because it really helps us to know that aragonite does what aragonite does because that's the you know as above so below you know like lithium, right? Lithium in nature, right? As a mineral, right, is associated with these. Uh, you know, divine love feelings and like, you know, like kind of calming anxiety and stuff. And that's, that's literally what they use the mineral for in our, in our physical bodies to affect those changes. And that's not necessarily true for everything, right? But we can start there to understand that colors vibrate at a certain frequency, right? And affect us in certain ways, right? And so we know that when we tap into orange, it's going to warm, right? And that our orange crystal probably has a similar quality to it. You know, we can start to look at things as a base, like our base camp for a discovery, you know, can be thinking about these like um, fundamental qualities that we know, and then allowing ourselves to build from that up into these other spaces. So I think the empirical, right, like this kind of like, this is a measurable thing is great. It's great. It might have been used for effed up things, it might have been used for subjugation of people. It might have been taken from somebody else and reworked into, into the system. And I can and do spend my time extracting and looking at that and looking at my view of that. But it still comes, I can, if I can reduce it back down to the fundamental truth that like the moon has a timing, you know, and that timing has a cycle like the sun. And I can measure those things together or go to some, because I really can't honestly measure it, but I could go to someone else who can, or I can use an app, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and those are based on the sciences of those things for me to understand them. Then I have something to start with that's, that's important and valid. That all totally makes sense. And I'll also say like, it's, it's like all finding balance, right? Like everything in life is like finding that balance. Um, and life is always just lifing at you, knocking you a little off balance. So you have to kind of come back to that center again. And what I've loved about like, just noticing the empirical things is that frequently like in our world everything is not okay right like there's always a million things going on that are not okay there's always also a million things going on that are blessings and miracles happening too right and we're not we don't have news outlets that profit off of that so we don't hear that as much right but when i go outside and i just empirically see it is calm you know like it is chill there is a chill here right like it's like it almost soothes me because it's like, okay, this is what I can really see rather than like my worldview being affected through the filters of everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been really helpful for me, like in the pandemic and like all the sky is falling people, um, which like the sky is falling. It's gone. It's, it's like, there are things that are happening that like people are not paying attention to. It's nuts right now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I feel actually this stage of the pandemic is the most dangerous that it's ever been. Um, just simply because people are like over it, you know what I mean? And they, and they want to distract themselves, which I think distraction is really like our human um, tendency to not bring and situate heaven on earth. You know what I mean? Like we can, if we do the, the work on ourselves and like, um, like all the things you need to do to actually experience joy and peace in your own life. Right. Like, and there's so many tools out there and so many distractions from that. Like you're not, um, I don't know. There's not a lot of healing from like watching a lot of TV. You know what I mean? Like there's not a lot of like um, joy that comes from that even, you know, it's distraction. It's a way to like spend your time. 
you mm-hmm. know, and like, it's, I just want to encourage people to find more nourishing ways to connect themselves to the divine, to their balance. Um, and for me, like just even the measurable things, like the things that are present in my life, the, the little miracles I can see that like I celebrate rather than like paying so much attention to the doom and gloom. Cause there's also that too. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I think that we are all tired of being trapped in the system, right? But I don't think that it necessarily makes everything in the system corrupt and criminal. The corruption and criminality as the people who have used it for their advantage to the detriment of others, right? But it doesn't take away the discovery of how the measure works, right? There was someone who had posted, and I'm not picking on anybody here, but I really picked it apart because I really wanted to understand it, which was, you know, like, uh, you know, asking me to, um, I don't, I don't remember how it was framed, but basically, you know, asking me to give you a measure of my practice to prove that it works, you know, is a negative. But then in the second slide to that thing was like, this is why my practice works. And I was like, I want to, I want to open that, but I don't know you. So I'm not going to at you because it will feel like that. So, you know, I'll, I'll sort of in effect write about that because I think that we do want to know that our practice works. And in relationship, we do want to be able to share that with other people, the joy of that healing that occurs from it. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But that requires a level. Not absolutely, because we don't want to become these academics where we're like, no, because in, you know, 1618, and it only moves at this speed, period, the end, that is the truth and everything else can, you know, go to hell. Right. Um, Because that that really sort of doesn't take into account the other levels of things, the dimensionality of 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 reality and of us as individuals. We we exist in multiple dimensions with multiple truths. Mm -hmm. Right. And multiple identities that are engaging those truths. Right. And so it's just applying inclusion to ourselves when it comes to working with these sorts of things and working with reality in this way that mama has a measure and she has a function and a heartbeat and a, and a spin. And, and from that perspective of the spin, these things can all be seen in this sort of way and they weigh a certain amount and they move at a certain speed and all those sorts of things is, is one way to do it. And, and, and also there is the truth in our stories and the truth in our histories and the truth in our aspirations and the truth in um, our faiths and all of those things sort of create like a truth cake you know like this you know like and and it's all part of the beauty of it it's not just one or the other the truth cake and we get to decide what our truth cake is too because i mean i watched my i don't think this is like um a truly advisable life path but i watched my grandmother (laughs) as her like trauma response was like just totally believing lies about her life or about like people like and she just needed that in order to function. And like, honestly, like I saw it coming born from a t- tough childhood, right. Um, mm-hmm. On a farm in Canada, like where she was like a glamorous babe who ended up living in um, Beverly Hills. For those who are watching the YouTube, this is my grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Very glamorous in all the ways. Um, Anise, uh, what a star. Um, but like, she also was like super self-deceptive and like, I recognized it in her cause it was something I was healing in me. And, um, it was just one of those things where like, um, it's like, it's almost like casting a spell on yourself, like telling yourself the reality that you need in order to function. And I think we all know people in our lives that do that. 
but I think there's something really beautiful about being like willing and able to be present with truths that are like unsettling or difficult and like knowing how to transmute that truth into you still being in your own heaven on earth, however that functions for you. Mm -hmm. And like, and, and I mean, for me, like my time in the woods, it's like the time where I'm not plugged. I like, I'm, I listen to music, which is technically plugged, I guess, but like not plugged to anything else. And I'm like, just with myself and with my spirit and with nature and with someplace very wild that like I learned from that is like my teacher. And it's really been such a good practice for me because there's mm -hmm. just it's heartbreaking out there. It's like, you know, a conservative estimate is one in 500 just Americans have died in this pandemic. Like, and so we're all touched by grief and we were, we were already touched by grief, but like, now I feel like uh, the, the death is kind of accelerating a lot. Um, and so this is something I wanted to talk to you about, Scott, and I gave it to you in our, our pre-podcast email, but um, that you are like the absolute perfect person for me to talk about this new thing I just learned but I've been really trying to integrate it, which is, um, so Yogi Bhajan, uh, who's like a guru, lots of people love him, very well known. Um, and he had kind of predicted about the age of Aquarius. He said, a third of people are going to die. A third of people are going to go mad. And a third of people are going to escape. Um, and so like that coupled with like hearing from other people who I just really um, admire and appreciate, like predicting a a death toll of about 1.5 billion people on earth, which is almost a third. Um, and like, and that's not just from pandemic. It's, it's also from, we've also lost people through overdoses and suicides and also, yeah. yeah. And also people dying because they can't get treated in hospitals because so many people are out there running around maskless getting COVID, you know, like, so, uh, there are places where they did counts and like it's, it, they're inaccurate because the system, wasn't used properly or wasn't accounted for and and whatever yeah. they, didn't, they didn't turn it in yeah mm -hmm. so I'm just curious like what your thoughts are on that like and like both like your thought on the prediction in whole as a magical person um and your thoughts on like how we can like kind of survive best in like if that's true like how do we grieve well and what are our tools for grieving? And also what are our tools for ascension? Because I think if we're to be one of the ascenders, which I think if you're listening to my podcast, you have a curious enough spirit that you want to live a better life. So welcome to the ascension, everybody. <laughs> I don't know how to speak to the prediction. So I want to start with that as I, I, I'm unfamiliar with the person and I, and I don't know how to speak to that. So mm -hmm. I don't think that I can properly, but I will say that I, I believe the age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. If we go from Pisces to Aquarius, right? I feel like one of the things that I see in the age of Pisces is finding the one. You know, it was like, it, it, where's the Neo? Like it's in Jesus, it's in Buddha, it's in, oh. you know, it's it's in the one, right? Neo matrix, right? You mm -hmm. know, uh, um, uh, Aquarius, everyone feels like the cupbearer, right? It's an air sign bearing a cup of water. It's it's the capacity um, and, and, and what we're giving to the world. And so I think that we, it comes with a host of voices rather than a single voice, that we take the lesson of Pisces and we find our voice or we find our oneness in ourself 
but we learn how to hash that out with a variety of opinions about it, right? Including the ones that are or are not in harmony with everything else, that that's kind of the rebel, that's Aquarius. Like this is this rebellious nature, you know, like this is this, that's there, that's there initially, I think it will show up in one way. And I think over time it will show up in different ways. We're moving from one into the other. I think that there's kind of like, the disruption of the seas, you know, like it's the changing of things, the tides move, you know, like there's the disruptive force of that energy as it comes in. Um, from my perspective, I feel like we, we experience the shock of that, or we experience um, the not so good looking rebels in that, right? We understand the implications of our power and our voice. I think those are all lessons that we're learning um, as we share our ideas you know, this Aquarian um, being, being a, a mental sign or a communicative sign, but that all that energy is there. So when we move into the age of Aquarius, I think that we're working into cooperative, collaborative, interwoven, interweaving, but we don't really know what that looks like, right? We have visions of what that looks like. Vision's great, but it's a truth on a high level that hasn't moved down into the physical level and how it looks in the physical is not always how it looked in the spiritual. And so our jobs as translators, as people who stand between the worlds, right? Between heaven and earth is using our ideas and our stories and our truths and all of these things to sort of sculpt it, you know, but not just ourselves, but with our neighbor with whatever. And I feel like the pandemic in certain ways has, I have a lot of grief about the pandemic, but I, I guess I feel it. But I also think that without trying to paint a bright side, I also feel like there are good things that come through as I see people activate within it you know, it's, it's like, look for the helpers, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of energy that comes through. And I think that the technology has forced us to come together in certain ways, right? The, the issues we have with supplies in a system that's like gasping for breath, you know, have asked us to, to look at how interconnected we are, as does nature, you know, and the way that she is convulsing, you know, uh, in so many ways that these things are all, if I looked at them from a spiritual perspective, are asking us to really step into the place where we're not just acknowledge that we're interconnected, but act like it in our daily lives without the expectation that some big government official or corporation or someone is going to do something about it. And they do. And they do but it also has to happen with us in the way that we interact with each other. You know, like there was a, I have a friend who said um, in 2019, we're having this discussion now and everyone is at each other's throat, but what if our small town, cause she lives in a small town, suffered such a catastrophe that we all had to depend on each other. And we're all locked in the same room together in this warehouse. And you have said all these things to each other and you have done all these things to each other. And now you have to help each other. And you have to think about your actions now in terms of, of that future, because that is a possibility. Not to make it all dire, but you know, like there are things on the table right now that are, that are catastrophic. Yeah, it's, we are interconnected. I think you've totally nailed it. Like it's, 
we have to be willing to see and understand and live as though our interconnectedness is essential. And it's like, um, it's like really thinking about like, instead of organizing ourselves around a patriarch, we organize ourselves around relationship and like relationship with people. And honestly, like the supply chain stuff is so fragile because we've gotten global and we're globally exploiting workers, mm-hmm. right? Like how cheap is your thing from Amazon? Because uh, the people in the warehouses aren't treated well and are in fact murdered on the job now. This has been happening. Um, and then also like who's making it and what slave labor s- situations. Like there's so much going on that like, as I've been realizing like how good it feels to live in alignment with my values and to think about like how my behavior, I mean, literally in a pandemic, my behavior affects other people. I don't want to ever be part of a chain of infection that kills somebody's child. Like that to me really matters. And so that dictates my behavior. And like, I don't think people think that way because it's inconvenient. Again, they're focused on distraction. They're not focused on like how to be more rooted into who they are. And I have to say it's, I'm a lot happier. Like, it's like, I mean, being so like, I, 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 you know, kind of have to always find the balance, right? Like, I don't want to be so self-righteous that I'm no fun, but like, I also like really do care about how, what I do affects other people. And so like, you know, it's the best you can do is the best you can do. And it's, and it can always get a little bit better, right. As you keep getting a little more aware, but you're right. Like nature is gasping, um, and like all of the climate chaos and, and we're meant to live in harmony and interconnectedness on this earth. Like there's no, like, I don't think Gaia wants us to suffer, you know, like, but it's because of all of like, it's cause you know, we're so out of balance. Like there's so much fossil fuel stuff. Like we have all the technology to have a clean, uh, energy grid and we don't. Yeah, you know, you know, we're Moonis and Taurus, right? Uh, my Moonis and Taurus, uh, she's exalted in Taurus. Taurus is the steward, right? You know, so we're talking about bodies and we're talking about Earth. I, I love that this conversation is in some way informed by that. But I think that um, that the idea of stewardship, not as a right to land or power over, but like true stewardship as as living in is, you know, we're we're people of ideas and stories. You know, like our evolution, our growth. Our part of our ascension, right, is the recognition of our stories and how we live them, where we come from, what happened, what it means, how we own it, and how we can aspire to do greater, better, um, um, or live well uh, with each other, I think is, is part of the gift. And, you know, it, it could be argued, you know, that uh, nature pretty much stewards herself, right? Uh, but we have a, a large impact on her, right, rather than a healthy influence because of industrialization and greed and all of these various, that's a sour cake, right? You know, like that, that's, we're all tired of eating it. You know, like that's not what we want anymore. Um, but, but I think that I like the idea of stewardship uh, in, in when you speak, I hear that uh, in myself echo that, we, we aren't just gardeners, you know, to our yard, but also to the land and hills and to each other and to, to the gardens of each other's hearts, you know, and to, um, I just wrote a piece on, put it on Patreon and, um, it, which is on story and, you know, the stories, we're, we've got a million stories running through us right now that are just on autopilot in the background. 
-hmm. you know, and uh, this is one story that we're all becoming aware of that we can take a hand in retelling uh, through our choices, actions, and words. And it starts with this kind of ideology, you know, this kind of belief, energy, impetus, power that you're speaking of, that it comes together in this way that we can begin to choose in ourselves the way that we from the simplest, from going back to the beginning, from doing the dishes to checking out the stars to to uh, how we vote and where and where we buy from and all those sorts of things. Um, it's not it's not all on us. I mean, like to there, there's a lot of us, but the gross polluters are who, right? Like they're these major corporations. Seventy one percent of our yeah. uh, biggest polluters are all corporate. So it's like our own personal recycling is such a drop in the bucket, but it still matters, right? And it really matters, honestly, where your money goes and your attention goes, because those polluters can do nothing if we don't give them their, our money or our attention. I would say it even matters in your personal recycling, because that cultivates something inside you, hmm. and that cultivation is what grows inside you your attitude towards that right is is part of the metaphysics you know and that it doesn't just affect a drop in the bucket you know but a million drops is a bucket of water right you know but it also affects your attitude and your perspective and the way that you are approaching it and so therefore the butterfly effect of how you interact with other people and what they take away from your experience may not be directly related to your joy at having recycled a can. However, they will take away the joy in your eyes or in the act that you you did or what you know whatever the interaction that you had that there was something that left a different impression that is um, properly a uh, uh, rebelliously loving in a world that is not. Yes. Yeah. And I think it is something like very rebellious to be loving, um, especially, and to find love for other people, even when they're not acting uh, <laughs> in the way that you think they should be, right? Like, um, but like, so I wanted to talk a little bit about like just coping with grief and coping. Well, I want, I want to just say that too, because what oh. you just said right there, I'm sorry, yeah. like it, like that is, forgive me for interrupting, is, no, no. is, is that we're not always going to be perfect at this. No. No, obviously. One of the things from Fat Kid Dance Party is the, is the cheering at the discomfort, right? And I think that that's a mindfulness thing that's super and has so much traction and can tread into so many places in our lives that I think to myself, I was sharing this with my therapist that, you know, this discomfort comes in and it's sort of like, yay for you. You know, like this is happening. And so what does that mean? How do I feel about it? But like, I'm uncomfortable. So I'm going to cheer myself. Like I have done the sign language cheers to myself, you know, <laughs> as I'm walking to listen to my headphones or something, you know, like that, 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 that is very important to understand that um, despite how it feels for me that social media wants us to appear as our best selves perfect and there's nothing else that's wrong there or or whatever and not that i'm saying that there are things that are quote unquote wrong but you know the feeling i'm talking about that the wonder if there is something wrong that that we do make mistakes that we are imperfect people and that is actually perfect right which is why i drop an f-bomb in my classes or you know um I let myself leave with my mouth sometimes 
and I apologize for it later because I didn't understand what I said. You know, like uh, because if I'm really going to model learning, I have to model my mistakes as well. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the most important things I do as an instructor for aerobics. I always point out my mistakes because it's it makes it a psychologically safe environment for other people when a leader can acknowledge, oh, I made a mistake and it's okay. And mm -hmm. like it gives people the freedom to just be themselves, which is honestly the, one of the most loving things we can do is just allow people the freedom to just be. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so on to the grieving part, because like, I think there is something like, okay, I'm very Pollyanna optimist. This is just like a part of who I am. I think like, it's also like a coping strategy, like to just, you know, I was so depressed the first like 20 years of my life that like, I really like go hard now on the things that I know keep my spirits lifted. And so being an optimist, I'm like, nobody's gonna die. It doesn't have to be that bad. But hearing people predicting um, and kind of seeing it happen, right? Like how unwilling some people are to like adjust and adapt. And also like the kind of, I want to say these words and I want to say them with very, a lot of intention, mass genocide um, mm -hmm. of the way that we're living on this planet. Like just even seeing the massive inequity in the distribution of vaccine technology, which by the way, isn't even necessarily keeping up with the mutations of uh the virus and viruses are older than people um like it's 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 wacky that we think we have all this knowledge we're not really using it right um but uh, and the wind just really picked up when i said that but um i just want to say like that i'm starting to really embrace the the potential for these things being true that we are really in a season of mass death and like you know seasons are seasons right like they don't last forever but like, I think there is something to, it almost feels like war. Like, I feel like I've lost so many people over the pandemic, um, not just to COVID, but to like, you know, all the other ways people die. Um, and like, it feels like at this point, it's like war. You know what I mean? It's like when you don't even get the chance to finish grieving a loss when there's another one right on its heels. And I feel like there's something, um, I mean, this is generation defining the amount of loss we're going through. And I'm just... I wonder from you, like, what are your ways, what is your perspective on it? And like, what are your ways of dealing with grief and grieving? And um, mm -hmm. I don't know, that's kind of my general question, but. That's a great question. I wanna say that um, when I think about what's happening here, you know, I think it was, uh, it was, it was Josephine McCarthy on, I think, Glitch Bottle podcast, um, which was like a four hour podcast. It was really great. But she talked about tides and that we're in a destructive tide, mm -hmm. right? So, so for me, that translates to in certain ways that um, uh, I really like her. She's a no-nonsense, like tell it like it is, uh, super intelligent, very crafty, magical person and um, great works, great books, everything. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, creation sustaining and destroying, right? Like there's tides that we go through, there's cycles that we go through, there's a birth cycle, there's a growing cycle, there's a sustainment cycle where we live in things and there's a destruction cycle and that happens every day and it happens every week and it happens every year, it happens in our bodies and it happens in the earth. You know, that is the, that is the cycle, you know, like the circle of life, right? Let's all sing the song, right? It's, it's that energy there. Uh, um, maybe not as beautiful as the song, right? But uh, maybe not as poetic, is that, but I think it's as beautiful or poetic as we make it. So I think we're in that destruction tide and we're seeing the breaking down of all these things because it's necessary. This is the stuff that doesn't stand up and nothing stands up forever, 
-hmm. right? Uh, and some of it we cheer because it goes down because we don't need that anymore, right? But we're part of that. These are not just things on a screen. They're not just things that are happening around us and our relationship to them, right? You know, to, to, to follow that course that we've been, you know, the, the stewardship, the body, the earth, our, our simple acts and all these things that we've been discussing. I think that recognizing that our body is, you know, I'm not talking about body autonomy or identity or who we are as, as individuals incarnate here, but it's recognizing that our body belongs to us, to the earth, to our ancestors, to, to nature, that these things are all sort of interwoven together. And so we're experiencing a destruction time, right? We're experiencing a great loss. Why it happened, where it started, I don't know. Does that really matter at this level, at this point, how we're choosing to live in it and how we're choosing to process it or not is important. Right. And I'm and I'm not saying that there is a one size fits all practice in that, but I think that I find for myself that a variety of mindfulness practices have been very helpful. Therapy is gold if you have a good therapist. I love my therapist. Like I really, if he's listening to this, like wow. Like I have wow. Like I really love my therapist. But I, I think in essence, it's the things that come up in this type of things, we need to feel them. We don't just need to think about them. That's a different level of engagement. It's analysis, right? It's not feeling necessarily. I think we need to really feel them. I think we need to feel it in the gut. We need to feel it in the pelvis. We need to feel it in our feet, right? And what's happening here and not fear that and this is a generally speaking right like i'm not a therapist right you know but that in generally feeling this in general for people allowing us to understand the impact of what's happening and feel the emotional content that's in us there because that's part of our story right now right and if we're ignoring that part we're not necessarily fully engaging the world around us in those things mm -hmm. so i've loved sharon salzberg's loving kindness meditations which are free from Lion's Roar to Sounds True with Tammy Simon to YouTube to wherever, they're everywhere. And it is the simplest meditation to do with such a great benefit. Soft belly breathing has been a great way to feel what I'm feeling and to breathe through what I'm feeling. Um, there are, are certain holds I think that you could do in your body that help you to feel these. I'm giving you practical things here, you know, like- Soft put, belly breathing uh, right now. My, my what? My, my, my right hand on my left shoulder, right? And my left hand on my belly. And I'll just sort of breathe that. It's sort of like giving yourself a little bit of a hug. They use this in PTSD. Um, I have a friend who's out in, in an empire who uses this with some of the vets that she works with as a way to help with anxiety and feel like you're held. Those are all like triage or daily practices, depending on how you use them. I think that sort of allow me to feel at home in my body and comfortable enough to start to feel present in the world around me to engage it. And that's how I start to handle grief because then I'm not, and you may, in my experience, you may encounter a backlog of things that have been ignored, right? And this is why therapy is great, you know, but also journal also, you know, if, if you are a strong meditator and whatever your practice is that you can start to 
detail these things, uh, you may have something there that you can work with. But I mean, I can help if you need it, you know, uh, and if you can, uh, or lean in on a friend, right? Uh, but that, but that once you're in the place where you're listening to what's happening, you're listening to joy, you're listening to grief, and you're listening to both, right? And and that for me is the most helpful because then I'm really present and I'm really feeling this and I'm really processing it. Am I doing it in the best way? I'm doing it the best way for me, right? Like, is it solving my problems or is it solving this problem? Yeah, no. You know, like it's it's you know, like it's it's not gonna. it's going to help me to be here now, right? It's going to, it's going to help me to be present this day. And I think that's the important thing, you know, and if I were to apply my tools to anything, it's that it's, it's to find the methods, you know, and, and I, I just had a conversation with another client, you know, like where they're doing a grief yoga, right. Which has done wonders for them, but their focus seems to constantly be tunneling into this grief and this grief and this grief. And I'm like, where's the positive for you? Like, what is your affirmation that makes you feel good? Like, how are you following up on this tunneling through grief with something that's holding an umbrella up to that rain? You know, like that's valid and you need that also. What is building you up as you're breaking this down? And so having also those practices, which can be spell work, Campbell with like new moon intentions, daily practices. You know, you said uh, finding pra different practices in your, in your day there are traditions, religions, and spiritual practices of life today are very old where we recognized morning, new, evening, and night. And those were all prayers. And those were all recognitions you know, of our place in the universe and giving us context as human beings in the cycle of all things. I think that grief is enlarged when our purpose is drowned by the suffering of the world. Mm right? Where when we lose purpose, oh crap, like that feels like, whoa. And some people might be like, I don't even know what my purpose is. And I'm not saying that your purpose has to be like the CEO of whatever, or the next mega healer or, or, or anything. Your purpose can be, you know, where we started in the, in the simple things, right? Because purpose isn't necessarily like a path to success for a riches, right? You know, like purpose is part of your breath, right? And when we encounter grief on this level, I think it's important to remember the simple things, the positive things and the feeling things. And so whatever your practices might be around that, I, I'm pedaling in this moment and, and my feet are really pedaling on it and I'm really loving it, like Qigong mm. uh, um, and uh, the loving kindness meditations. And then just really doing a lot of gosho and centering in my heart and then I'm ready for today, you know, like, and I'm, and I'm moving into this and that really sucks that's happening right now. And that's overwhelming me. And I'll say this really sucks and it's overwhelming me. And I pause and I stop and I, and I back up, but I have the privilege and the ability to do that at this time. And that may be uh, different for other people. Does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Those um, are very tangible things you can do to live Yeah. amongst grief, mass casualty, yeah. like, and also I really liked that the tide of destruction that you said, like that really does resonate for me. Like, cause it's weird, right? Like to be someone who like, I, I really encountered this a lot when my grandmother was dying because it was the first time she had been sick. 
Like she hadn't, I mean, and I think that was honestly her will. Like she got diagnosed with lung cancer six years before she died, but she didn't tell anybody. And I don't think she believed it. And so then she did die of lung cancer because the second time she got diagnosed, I was there with her when she got the call because I knew it was happening and I was available to come. So I'm like, let me come. And so then we knew, right? Like, I think she would have, if she hadn't been caught going to the hospital for those tests because my mom couldn't find her. And she just randomly called the hospital to be like, Hey, is uh, and asked for her name. And she was there. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that funny? Like, it's just yeah. like her, uh, to just sneak off to the hospital and not tell mm-hmm. anyone. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, but anyway, like I didn't believe she was dying. I thought she was just sick, you know, and she would get better. And like, it was so interesting. I held this optimism for so long until like the last five days of her life. And then I, be- I very much realized, Oh, this is really what's happening. And in many ways, like, I kind of wish I had been more aware of the truth um, earlier. Uh, Not that it would have helped me um, emotionally prepare, because I don't think you can pre-grieve grief. I think you just have to be in the, I mean, it's like, I think life is grieving and joy and it's the balance, it's balance and everything. And like, but I found uh, some comfort in hindsight, understanding like, oh, if I had understood more about the dying process, I would have seen it earlier. Um, But you know, you don't know what you don't know. And now I'm like trying to come to this as I, you know, when I get information multiple times, like I really curate how I receive my information. I don't watch the news, but I do like pay attention to what healthcare workers are saying on Twitter, right? Because I feel like I'm hearing more about the front lines of, I mean, happy two year anniversary of the pandemic. Like, December 12th, um, 2019 is when they found all those people sick in Wuhan and people like on the ground, medical workers here in the US, we're seeing people coming in, young people who are very sick, but not flu. And um, so it was happening, right? And so it's like, I like to understand what's happening, but I'm trying to be like both present for the information and the information of mass death keeps coming to me from sources I trust and and especially like psychics that I trust too, that like, I'm like, okay, so how, how are we going to do that? You know what I mean? Like, how are we going to like best level up? And this Yogi Bhajan quote really like hit me. I was like, wow, that really is a great prediction of this age of Aquarius who knew it would start with um, a massive pandemic. Um, and then I, this really ties into a lot of your, your grief tools, but like, what are your ascension tools? How are you like continuing to be in the world, but not of the world? And I think that you've honestly had a whole career of practice of doing that. Yeah, I I, I think that I want to say one more thing that I, I feel like I should have said, mm-hmm. uh, um, not to should myself, but but to say that if you have an idea of what you think grief is or what you should do or how that's supposed to look, I would make that your first question um, about about those things in yourself and and really move out of the place of judging those processes and really into feeling those processes and again you know like with help if necessary um and as far as psychic information um you know i i haven't spoken about this a lot and i'm not the only person and i'm not putting a crown on my head for this but in in uh at the end of august the beginning of september in 2019 i had a dream about I, i think i've told you this one where um, I was in this room that I am right now. I had been staying with my father for some things uh, in the house and I came back here and I had a dream that I was sitting in the healing room and I looked along the fence and an abnormally large rat ran along it uh, and it stopped and it looked at me and it said, plague. 
and it ran into the house. And I was like, oh no, I woke up and I was like, that was a weird dream. And I came to sit in this healing room. And as I sat down and I could see out to the angle of uh, where I had the dream, literally a rat ran along the fence, not abnormally large, but a large one and looked at me. It did not say plague, right? Cause <laughs> rats don't talk like we do. And, and then it ran along the fence and I went, oh, I dreamed a true. So I called some people. I was like, what is the stone? What is the thing? What do I do? What would you do? And I gridded my house in September, October. Um, I asked my guides about it and they were like, December's really bad. Watch out for December. You know, uh, 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 I didn't want to appear to be the tinfoil hat wearing person. So I really only told like certain healers and people that I know, I was like, I think we're going to have a plague of some sort. We're going to have like, it's, this, this feels real, real. It doesn't, vision and reality are, are not perf perfect matches, right? And they enter each other in different ways. So when we see things about the future that are coming through, especially in a destruction tide, we're sort of looking at bubbling water, mm. right? Because it's breaking down. The cauldron is breaking it all down, right? The water has to boil for it to break it all down. So we see that there are roses in there. We see that there is, you know, whatever our magical ingredients are, whatever the, the things that are, that are, that we're looking at for vision, but the water is still boiling, you know, it's, it's not even at a simmer, right? It's not even broken everything down, right? And it starts to cool to be re ready for the potion of whatever it is. I'm using the cauldron magic metaphor here, but so when we're seeing it, our reflection is in the boil, right? And so like our vision is in the boil and a lot of things can happen and occur that have a lot to do with the determination of people, visionaries, uh, uh, and those who are creating impact, you know, like all of those chain things can alter the future because the future is not uh, in, in this context set in stone, right? And so there is opportunity along the way, even as things turn further to, to, into a direction that we want to go, that there's always an opportunity you know, to, to shift things, right? The probability of those visions becoming more of a reality is based entirely on the actions of the people around us, right? But it's not etched in stone, right? Um, uh, uh, necessarily to those ways. I think when we talk about ascension, for me, what I'm talking about is moving our consciousness up into our heart area and living and being in our heart area. Um, I don't think it's necessarily uh, exiting the place, right? But I think it's entering the place because our heart is a center of alchemy that's all about relationship and synthesizing our experiences into how we relate to the world and to each other and so on and so forth. And the more that we're all operating from a heart center, the greater the synthesis, harmony, and uh, you know, energy that can, that can happen there. I think the secret nature of the heart is that the harmony comes through the discord. And so it's holding both of those things uh, rather than casting out one and demonizing it, it's about bringing it together into the process. Um, I don't think ascension is truly possible for all beings unless all beings are part of the process. And it doesn't mean all at once, right? But that in the chain of it, that we make the space that this is an ongoing spiral of processes that are happening. Um, 
mass appeal, right? And critical mass of these things, I think creates a, a bigger stoke on the flames of, of transformation to allow for this ascension to happen. Um, and it is my hope that it's not just a few of us who come into the heart space, but I'm glad that there are more uh, than a few of us that are coming into the heart space to continue to, to pump out that message, right? To pump out that light or to pump out that um, call in, right? To be a part of this. Um, uh, but ultimately it's about coming into, if, if we're talking about ascension is coming into the higher planes, I think it's I think it's being in the higher planes of the heart, right? It's acting from compassion and loving kindness and relationship and all of those sorts of things. So if we wanted to do something that was cultivating those, that's where I would lean into some of the other practices that are more affirmations, right? About being here now and also what is my evolution as a human being in this. I'm not just doing this to be in relationship, but I'm doing this to be in relationship to embody this vision of a better world. And how do I include people in that process? Mm. You know, the, the, someone just, but we, I run a Thich Nhat Hanh group on Facebook and I'm looking at my screen as I do it, which has almost 7,000 people in it. It's pretty, it's, and it, and it came out of a really horrible group that was based on Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, where it was cluttered and foul like it was just a really bad group and uh me and some other people were like let's make our own group you know and we did and now it's gigantic right uh and uh not that size is everything right you know but just the message that he gives is very appealing and someone had asked in that group about um how to make a difference you know where they live i'm not saying specifically what it is because it's a private group but you know uh and a lot of the feedback that was provided in that was about um you know oh you you just you just heal it and transmute it or you just do this or you do that and they're like our focus really is on buddhism so like you know that's the point of this group is buddhism so and and so like how how does that really show up and you know i looked at Thich Nhat Hanh's life and I looked at his uh his you know what history and, and what would be the legacy you know of his work that will live on for as long as we are here and we remember you know and he said your body is not yours your body belongs to your ancestors your parents your future generations the trees the clouds the soil every living thing brought about the presence of your body mm. you know and and so the responsibility for ascension and, and healing and rising up is not an internal one only. It's an internal one that initiates the realization that we need in our life to create the acts, thoughts, words, and deeds around us that transform the relationships that we have to encourage, promote, or cultivate those better relationships with other people so that we all ascend in this way, right? Um, uh, it, it's not for as fantastic and awesome that was that would be if we just freaking rainbowed into another level right <laughs> yay for that right uh uh i think that's the vision right and the vision needs to be enacted it is initiated with our idea and how we cultivate that in our heart and having a practice that focuses on our heart that breathing into our heart is a very simple practice to do that right you know like being gasho is really uh the reiki practice of gasho is a great way to do that any of these practices that breathe us into our heart is a great center there but i think the ascension process is 
if it's an energetic, it's an energetic in the relationships. It's an energetic in our relationships with each other and, and really, you know, um, cheering that on, right? And really cultivating that on and really being in these places where we're doing these things. Yeah, and magic, yeah, and rituals, yeah, and voting, yeah, and all of those things, but really as an individual, being in our heart space more and more, being in the vulnerability of our heart space, dealing with the grief in our heart space, all of those things being in our heart space and learning to live and understand what it is to exist at this level of ourselves, not going into it with an I know what it will be, but I wonder what it will be and being open to how you change in that heart consciousness to really become your heart's adept and live that in your life, right? And to be that person in your life. That's really the way of ascension for me. I love that so much. I feel like um, Dr. Brene Brown, if I can bring her into this, she talks love about her. I'm so grateful we live in a life right now with so much of her prolific work. Um, I'm rereading The Gifts of Imperfection and um she just talks about in that book how like um to live a life without punishment or shame right with other people or self is about living with compassion but it's also about having great boundaries she's like people who live with a lot of compassion also don't deal with the annoyances of being constantly out of their boundaries like they understand their needs and they're making sure they're met and they're only doing the things that they really want to be doing and they're not just emptying themselves, you know, for other people. Right. And so like being able to live in that compassion space, I think, and like really finding, I'm doing a course in miracles. And so the lesson today is simply like seeing other people in their, they, they use, there's a lot of weird terms in this book, but like sinless nature, right? Like the essential nature of everyone as pure and divine and being able to relate and see people in that way while also recognizing they may not be acting in their divinity. And that means that you get to have good boundaries about how you allow those people um, to have effect on you. But like, I think Ascension in many ways is like being right here in this way. I love that Thich Nhat Hanh, um, like you are of the trees. I mean, we breathe because the trees breathe, right? Like we are literally their half of our respiratory system. Um, and like, anyway, so like just being present and connecting and in many ways, it's almost like it's a living, um, if you live in love, it's, you can't pre-grieve, but you certainly can live in a way where you don't have a lot of regrets about the quality of your relationships. And I think, I mean, I definitely learned that the hard way by having regrets about qualities of relationships after death. And like, now I live in more harmony with how I want to connect with folks um, and lavish them in my love. Um, Scott, thank you for being on the podcast. You are so wise, so magical. One of my favorite teachers. Um, I just appreciate you in the world so much. How can people find you and stay connected to you on the internet? And I'll uh, links of everything in the show notes. Yeah, you, you have the links, uh, I, and I think I led with that, but I, I want to repeat it again, that um, if if you really want to see like what I'm really working on or where my words are really at and where these sort of um, things sort of play out is the patreon.com slash Scott K. Smith, S-K-S is capitalized. Um, and most of that's there, but it's also linked throughout all my profiles and available. I've been doing a couple of things on Substack. Um, as a writing platform and sort of mirroring things over there as well. Um, It's all linked. So if you go to my website, thesacredother.com, or you go to temple-la.com, there are links for everything there. 
the 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 sacred other is really like my personal practice like if you want to see me as a healer you want to get a consult with me um you want to look at some of the art that i'm making it's all there right you want to take a class you want to join the temple of witchcraft mystery school uh, as we're teaching it in person here in los angeles you can go to templela.com and that information is there um and then the creative process is all through the patreon yeah and i'm on instagram and twitter and you know all the things but I, I think uh, I put the most juice into um, into the writing and it, and it appears in those three places. Yeah. I love you so much, Scott. I love you. Thank, Thank you, Bevan. Here. Yeah, you're awesome. Thank you so much.